You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his Son to rise on the evil and the good, and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Thank you. This is God's word. Okay, here we go. I'm going to hit record on this. I think you guys got it recording too? Perfect. Okay, so for those of you who don't know me, <clears throat> or those of you who um, do know me, I'm Scott Strickwerda, and the most important thing you need to know about me is that I love Jesus. And I'm doing my very best with all the success and all the failures of living my life as an apprentice to him. And also a bit on a smaller scale, this is the first time that I've taught a message in person to you guys. So I'm excited and happy to be doing it. And um, I ask for your grace where grace is needed. So thank you. Um, I want to start with a story. So my youngest son, Willem, Wim, he will be uh, just doing something in the house or anywhere in the car, wherever, and he'll be doing whatever, and a certain song will come on, and I never know what song it's going to be. And Willem will just all of a sudden stop what he's doing. He doesn't know he's doing this, and I try to get him to replicate it, but it doesn't work. But, so he doesn't know what he's doing, but he, he just kind of stops whatever he is up to. And his, his eyes closed, and his nose kind of crunches up, and he, and he just starts nodding along to it. And it's just like it's all of him becoming one with that song. And it's like, and to, yeah. And so it can be replicated a little bit. Like if I, if I like take up my camera and try to videotape him, then he sees that I'm doing it and it's kind of like rigid. But when it's not, when it's real, it's real. And the music flows through him and he is one with the music. And that's what my prayer for us is. My prayer for you is that we become one with Jesus. And why I share this is not because I think it's cute. It's teaching myself and I hope you a lesson. He doesn't just hear the music and then react to it in a way that he is taught to do or because that's what I expect him to do. This flows out of him. He can't help but nod along and it comes easy. So the right response isn't forced, it's natural. And that is where I want each of us to get to in our apprenticeship to Jesus, to our living in the kingdom of God right now, where all of our mind, all of our body, and all of our soul oozes Jesus, or in other words, where our right thinking and acting, or righteousness, is right with God. And where we make the effort, where we make the effort to learn from our perfect teacher to become like him and do what he did, even when it goes against our human nature. So, where have we parked ourselves and discussed in detail these past Sunday mornings? And I'm going to ask, I'm actually 
what where have what have we been talking about the last sermon on the mount thank you so sermon on the mount and although jesus is not done speaking once he addresses loving your enemy i feel that in a sense this is a conclusion of the renovation of the heart section and so because of that i think it's important to spend a bit of time prior to the message to re recap what jesus has been teaching us so far in this sermon as you remember it started with beatitudes which are an illustration of who the kingdom of God is available to. The beautiful losers. This is, includes me, includes you. And this is the first indication that Jesus is after our hearts and not our circumstances. Next, the law and righteousness. Here Jesus, is, Jesus, promises, is, <laughs> Here Jesus promises an inside-out faith. And we were introduced to the word dikasune or the state of one who is as they ought to be. And then Jillian did a wonderful teaching on anger where she reminded us that Jesus calls us to not degrade another person's humanity with contempt, but to always seek relationship and reconciliation. And then lust, where we, where we were reminded that lust is about the self, where we're taking from the other, and through life with Jesus, we are called to learn to love others too much to use them. And then Jess took the time to clearly teach us regarding, as she called it, the spin of truth or the version of ourselves that we present to others and how a lot of, of what we present to others is rooted in fear and insecurity. But then she reminded us that in the, the kingdom truth, the truth we are called into is rooted in love and relationship. And last week, well, Tom once again reoriented our hearts, minds, and actions towards Jesus by, remi by reminding us that clear-eyed self-sacrifice and love is the way to the kingdom. So all of these are within the framework of the renovation of the heart into a Christ-filled kingdom heart. And we are slowly learning that a life of holiness is more costly, it's harder, and takes longer than we had planned. <clears throat> and that conviction, and that conviction and realization will lead to confession. And confession will lead to repentance or a reorientation of our thinking in light of who God is. And what is interesting about each of these teachings is that they are rooted in the idea that we are to have loving, healthy relationships with God and with others. Or as Jesus, Jesus neatly sums up the law and the prophets later in Matthew, he says, love the Lord your God with all your hearts, with all your souls, with all your minds, and love your neighbor as yourself. So what we begin to know and understand, are we slowly going through these teachings is this, Jesus is not giving laws of righteous behavior. Instead, this is a renovation of our heart. Or as Dallas Willard puts it, Jesus is talking about the characteristic behavior of the person with the kingdom heart. And it does express who that person is at the core of his or her being. So we see this as a way of living, as a path to follow, as to strive to, or to apprentice in. 
but not just doing it here and there or when we are at our best, but doing it when we are at our worst as well. 24 hours a day, seven days a week. So this is the great inversion between the human order or the ever-changing cultural norm that we all know of to the unshakable, unmovable, perfect kingdom order of love. The call is to immerse yourself in Christ's kingdom. Okay, so where is Jesus taking us next in the Sermon on the Mount? It's love your enemy. So you can open up your Bibles to Matthew 5, 43 or 48, or you can follow along up here and read along with me as I hopefully help us understand what Jesus means by this teaching. And just a note, Jesus did not intend for these verses to be split up and read in isolation. So remember the recap from Jillian's and Jess's and Tom's messages because this all builds on each other. So I'm just going to take a drink. Okay. So you have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. So by this point, you should be familiar with Jesus' style of teaching for the sermons he has been slowly going through. He is taking a law from the Old Testament and helping us to live it outright, not just wrong. But here, he also takes a common cultural belief and sets it right. There is no law in the Bible that says hate your enemy. But what does Jesus mean by love? Does he mean a feeling or warm and fuzzies or one of those things? So love is one of those words that can have so many different meanings in our English language. And for the sake of time, <clears throat> I'm going to talk about the love Jesus means here. And if you remember last week's sermon, you'll, it'll be a reminder. But agape love, self-sacrificial, other-centered love that often takes the form of an action and it's not a feeling. And this is the kind of love Jesus perfectly shows us when he leading up to and on the cross. So then you have the question, who is my neighbor? Um, who is my neighbor? Everyone. Everyone. Yeah. And a lot of, at, at that time it would have been for at the time it would have been just fellow Jews. But as Jesus is going to be saying, and if you read the parable of the Good Samaritan, it is everyone. You're right, Josh. So who is my enemy? Dallas Willard, those with standing contempt and hatred for us who regularly fantasize our pain and destruction. I just want to make a note. This is different from anyone we have standing contempt and hatred for. Anyone we would regularly fantasize their pain and destruction. So Jesus has already addressed this. He has addressed our contempt and he has addressed our retaliation earlier on in these teachings. And that is why this builds up on each other. So to clarify, Jesus never considered anyone his enemy, but many people considered him their enemy. So Jesus can only love. God is love. So back to the verse. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. So two things we are called to do to our enemies. This should be a quick refresher. What are the two things we need to do? Love and pray. Yes. Agape, love, and prayer. So that's 
so that you may be children of your Father in heaven. And I just want you guys to hold on to that statement because I'm going to come back to that. So then, he causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and unrighteous. So it's kind of cool that Sean was talking about nature beforehand, but uh, God's creation points towards him. It reflects him. God is love. He loves each of us, regardless of background, belief, sin, or acts. I remember my mom saying this line to me when I did something I should not have done, and I felt pretty awful about it. She would say, there is nothing you can do to make you love you more, and there is nothing you can do to make me love you less. And then where do you think that she got that saying from? She got it from God. Yes, she was teaching me the very character of God. And years later, it still reminds me. And just to clarify, although my mom's love for me did not change, I still did have to deal with the justified consequences of my actions. But that is love as well. So I am loved. You are loved. Regardless of whether you accept it or not. So I often overlook this reference to the weather. And what does Jesus mean by it? And I think this. So God's character is bountiful in love, grace, and generosity. And you have a whole lifetime to experience this. If you're righteous or unrighteous, evil or good, enemy or neighbor, God chooses to love you and to bless you. And it's up to you if you're going to accept it or not. So then back to the verse. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than the others? Do not even the pagans do that? So this is not limited to Anchor Point or our friends or our family. But we're called to love everyone. Love when it is not easy, as Josh was talking about just before there. Each of us has someone in our minds when I say this to love someone where it's not easy. For me, it's my actual literal neighbor. And it could be, for you, it could be your sister, your dad, your boss, coworker, the politician, the activist. Each of you know in your heart who I'm talking about for you when I say that. And then he finishes us off with, be perfect, therefore, as your father, a heavenly father is perfect. So the word perfect here is referring to maturity or wholeness, where you have reached a completion point. And the perfection Jesus is calling us to is rooted in love. And when you do this, okay, listen up. When you do this, this intentional act of love, and when you pray for your enemy, I think Jesus is saying that you are the most like God that you can be. You are most nearly reflecting his character and you're meeting him face to face as sons and as daughters. So love your enemy, pray for those who persecute you, be perfect. So everyone know what we're talking about today? Okay, yes, yes. So you know what he wants us to do, and it sounds good, and everybody's like, yeah, we know what, you know what you want, right? But to be honest, a lot of times I feel like this is in an impossible call, yeah. and that I'm not capable to do that. I know 
I need to, and I know it's good, but I don't do it. And then I think, what is the point of knowing what is good if I don't actually do it? So I, guys, I'm talking to myself here, but I'm hoping that something is resonating in you as well. How often do I fall so far from the mark? And this may seem impossible to you right now, but please don't tune me out. The more I am getting to know Jesus, the more I am spending time with him, and the more I let him into my heart, the less I think that this is an impossible task. So C.S. Lewis, Mere Christianity, says, The command, be ye perfect, is not idealistic gas, nor is it a command to do the impossible. He is going to make us into creatures that can obey that command. Okay, so let's pray. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, we thank you that you are here. I ask that you do the, the work in our hearts to do the renovation and to the whatever needs to be done in us, Lord. That we cannot do this without you. Be as, let us be people that see this as worth it and people that are willing to follow you. So I just want to ask that whatever is of me to fall away and that you bless this message and whatever is of you to stick. Bless these people here. Amen. Okay. So here's the deal. I am an arborist. I'm privileged, and this is a weird thing to say, but I am middle-aged, and I live in Rosemont, Ontario. So, right? I think I am. 38. That's middle-aged. Okay, almost middle-aged. So by this point in the message, you may be thinking, what the heck does this guy know? He doesn't even know what middle-aged is. How can he know anything about this topic? Or... About your how can I know anything about your specific experiences and circumstances with your enemies? And to be honest, you are right. I cannot begin to understand what you have gone through or what you are going through. But Jesus can. So, let's just take a moment here to remember that it is Jesus that we are following. And that is my job here to help us reorient our gaze... Not on this, on me, but or reorient our gaze on Jesus and our hope in him. So back to what we were talking about before the prayer. What is the point of knowing what is good if we don't actually do it? Or in other words, I know I need to agape love my enemy and pray for them, but that seems impossible. I want to tell you a little bit about apprenticeship. So one of the best things about my job in particular is that I get to mentor apprentices. I love this challenge of getting to know them so that I can develop a specific learning style that works for their personality and will ultimately result in their success. This can be done by uh, spending time, this can only be done by spending time together. So next I get to teach them what is important, the skill, their attitude, their work ethic, basically the all-encompassing package of what would make them a successful apprentice. And finally, I get to see them actually do what we do, to put it into practice, day after day, easy or hard. And to be honest, we get all sorts of people into our program, and sometimes this whole process is an ease, and other times it's a real struggle. So let me tell you what I feel like are some key characteristics of a successful apprentice 
so that we, or you, can put this into practice as apprentices to Jesus. Where we can all work towards perfection, maturity, completion. So someone who is willingly and eagerly, someone who willingly and eagerly spends time with their master. That's one of the things that is important. This has to be something that you want. You have to intend to become like that master. You need to fill your mind with as whatever, as Apostle Paul says, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, anything excellent or praiseworthy. You need to think about such things. And then you ultimately need to do what that master does. You need to trust that Jesus loves you and that there and is there for you. That success and failures are okay. And as you continue to do it, it might seem awkward at first, but it'll get easier and easier as you commit to immerse your heart, your mind, and your body in Jesus and his ways. So if I'm an apprentice who is told by my master to love and pray for my enemies, what should my first step be if I want to be someone where this can naturally flow out of me? So how am I going to love and pray for my enemy? Number one, be with Jesus. Union with God. Do you guys remember the secret place challenge? Yes. Is anyone still doing it? Yes. What was the point of it? Being with God. Yeah, that was it. To be with Jesus. This, Guys, this is huge. This is the point. Tom reminded us in an earlier message. The point of life is not to be good for God. It is to be with God. So why, you might ask? Because in this, you will learn your own belovedness. He will reveal to you who he is. And ultimately, he will, will reveal to you who you are in light of who he is. So what does Jesus say about this? John 15, 4-5. Remain in me, and also I remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, I will bear, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. So apart from me, you can do nothing. So be with, abide in Jesus. So what I'm trying to get across is this. Prioritize being with Jesus. Let him into your heart. Submit to his good way. Pray. Read the Bible. Let him reveal to you who you are in him. And then let him do his work in you so that you can see others as he sees them, as beloved, as made in his image. And you pray. Because none of this is possible if we do not include God in this. So we need to be with him and meet him honestly where we're at. We have to pray for our enemies. We need to include God in this because... This isn't an easy call to love the people who hate us and who persecute us. So step one in our apprenticeship, the most important step in my mind, in our pursuit to be perfect or like God and to ultimately embody agape love, others first, self-sacrificial love, where loving your enemy is not difficult, is to prioritize loving your, <laughs> prioritize being with Jesus. And then back to the question. 
How am I going to love and pray for my enemy? Number two, become like Jesus. Become love. Pursue love. What's the greatest commandment? And what's the second greatest commandment? Love your neighbor. Love God. Love your neighbor. Both of them are rooted in love. Every point Jesus has made during this discourse on the hill is in a way rooted in love. So Jesus, fully man, fully God, is revealing the, cr the true character of God to us. And if we want to become like Jesus, well, love, agape love, seems like something we should pursue and see as important in our discipleship to him. So 1 John 4, 7 to 12. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. So because God first loved us, this is possible. This is the call. Become love. But you might be thinking this is an impossible call. This is too burdensome. And how do I live in a way that love flows naturally out where it isn't a burden to love my enemy? Okay, read on. I understand this is difficult to grasp, but let's keep going. 1 John 4, 19 to 5, 5. We love because he first loved us. Whoever claims to love God yet hates his brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother or sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command. Anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And whoever and anyone who loves their father loves his Sorry. And anyone who loves the Father loves his child as well. This is how we know that we love the children of God. By loving God and carrying out his commands. In fact, this is love for God. To keep his commands and his commands are not burdensome. For everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world. Even our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world? Only the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. Guys, I'm pumped. So, I might not look it, but I am. So, in fact, this is love for God. To keep his commands, and his commands are not burdensome, for everyone born of God welcomes, overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world? The, only the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of, world, Son of God. So, you guys see what I'm seeing? What if we lived our lives out like we believe this to be true? That we have overcome the world. This cultural moment has no hold on us, on us. And that we are so rooted and grounded in Jesus that everything that he has said so far is possible. A little bit more on love. 1 Corinthians 13. 
just what love is. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. So the heart of a scribe or a Pharisee will see this call to love your enemy that we've been talking about as a command to complete a list of to-dos. Okay, so I need to love. This is, And they'd be flexing and they'd say, I hate your guts. But because I am commanded to love you, I can mimic these traits of what love is. So I'm going to try to be patient. But it, that's not the point. Guys, this is a renovation of mind, body, and soul. This is, as Paul says, the most excellent way. Mic drop. Huh. This is the most excellent way. Now I'm lost. I'll be okay. Become love. Become like Jesus. Stand firm and close to Jesus. So that's the point here. You do not have to rely on your own self here, but you need to let and ask Jesus to work in and in through you. So when I'm working in the, with apprentices and there is a very difficult task, the first thing that the apprentice does, if they're a good apprentice, is that they come to me for help. So I'm so involved with it that we're doing the whole thing together. And a lot of times we'll bring in other apprentices as well or other journeymen to learn and support each other as well. So the point is, is that we are in this together and that is what Jesus wants, and that is what Jesus wants to do in us. So back to the question, how do I love and pray for my enemy? I know I need to be with Jesus. I know I'll become like, like Jesus, but how do I do what he did? It's glad you asked. Here's some questions that I had while I was working on this message. How can I do what he did? How can I do what Jesus said so far in the Sermon on the Mount? Or more specifically, how can I live out these words, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you? How do I become children? How do we become children of your Father in heaven? Or how do we reach a maturity or a completion in our apprenticeship to where Jesus both promises and commands us to be perfect as our Father in heaven is perfect. So Jesus is suggesting that there is something in loving our enemies more so than all the other teachings that he has covered so far. He states that in he, he states that it makes us into children of God, children who reflect the righteousness of the kingdom. It is the hardest yet most impactful thing that we can do. So what did Jesus, our master, do? He chose to live in the kingdom of God to be with God. He lived in right relationship all the time. He generously brought freedom and healing, mercy, justice, and he loved everyone. Those who loved him and those who hated him. So Dallas Willard says, Jesus well knew the answer to this question. 
And this is why he told those who wanted to know how to work the works of God to put their confidence in the one God had sent. He knew that we could not keep the law by trying to keep the law. To succeed in keeping the law, one must aim at something other and something more. One must aim to become the kind of person from whom the deeds of the law naturally flow. The apple tree naturally and easily produces apples because of its inner nature. This is the most crucial thing to remember if we would understand Jesus' picture of the kingdom heart given on the Sermon on the Mount. Or again, Dallas Willard. We are looking at how people live who stand in the flow of God's life now. We see the interior rightness of those who are living as a matter of course, not just in exceptional moments, beyond the rightness of the scribe and the Pharisee. So this is only possible with buy-in. Jesus is the smartest, most loving man who has ever lived. He's fully God, fully human. He changed the course of history. He lived this out perfectly. It wasn't hard for him to pray forgiveness to his father while he's being nailed to the cross. And this is what we should be working towards day by day. Should be practicing to be like Jesus, become like Jesus and do what he did in our ordinary everyday lives. And this is doable. It's Martin Luther King Jr. We talked about him last week. Follower of Jesus. Safe to say he had people that hated him. People that would place a cross on his front lawn and light it on fire. Because of who he was and what he believed in, he was hated. So did he hate these people back? No. Did he call his brothers to arms and act in violence? Did he treat them with contempt? No. He put on a suit. I got a picture of him. Put on a suit. He brought his son outside with him. And he prayed for those who did this horrendous act. And what he prayed was that God would show favor and bless the people who did this. He publicly and privately prayed, and so should we. So do you see what I'm getting at? This can become natural, but it cannot without God. We need God in this. We can love because he first loved us, and if we allow God into our heart, with the freedom to make his home there and to re renovate it where it needs renovating. And if we let ourselves be wrong and let him be right, we will start to see others as God sees them. Come on. As beloved, each and every human, God will not give up on anyone and neither should we. If someone hates us, we should pray for them. If we hate, well, we need to get right with God and that let him do his work in our hearts. So I heard this this week and I wanted to share. As Christians, when we love our enemies, we no longer will have any more enemies. We'll only have neighbors. And I think there's some truth in that. So yes, I just gave you an example of a very famous person. And yes, I could end right now. But I just want to leave you with one more thing. So this is for us, Anchor Point. I see examples of everything that I've talked about today in you, right here in our community. And I'm not, I'm not lying to you when I say this. And I want to encourage you that I see this put into practice over and over again, to love when love is difficult. 
And are we perfect? No, not yet. Are we doing this together and calling each other up to a higher standard or most excellent way? I'm going to say yes. So this week, let's put this, in, this call into practice. Agape love and pray for your enemy. This might seem completely foreign and unnatural and it's going to be hard, but that's okay. We are apprentices and we have a wonderful teacher. So include Jesus in this and include each other as well. We are a community who is in this together. As you, as you learned from last week's message, this is not a call to be a doormat. This is a call to intelligently and creatively show favor and blessing to those we cannot stand and those who cannot stand us. So try it. Trust in Jesus. Don't expect anything in return from that person. But remember that you guys, we have a firm foundation in the unshakable kingdom of God. And it is not in trouble, and neither are we. So let us pray. Thank you, Father, for who you are. Thank you that you reveal yourself to us. Let it be that we strive to be with you, spend time with you, and do what you did. Amen.